Welcome. Have a seat. All right. Put on your headphones. So you're nervous? I hadn't had time to get nervous yet, but uh, usually I reserve that for the last second. So, <laughs> so the that's the producer. Hi. Hello. I think I'm probably looking at you. <laughs> you are. Okay, good. That's Peter, my son, my oldest son. Oh, well, I didn't realize. Hello, Peter. <laughs> but more importantly, the producer. That's the producer. True. Yeah, I like it. Producer Peter. He's on site in Kansas. That's right. Repping the merch today. Oh, nice. Love that t-shirt. Do we do we need to clap, Pete? Yes, we do. Three, two, one. Oh, I clapped twice. <laughs> Recorded live at Tox and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios... This is the Clerical Airs Podcast, the podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. All right. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Vicker. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. And, uh, yeah, so here we go. 19.0. Actually, can you close the studio doors? Yeah, certainly. Man, you get him in the studio and you're already putting him to work. Well, yeah. You had you made him get drinks for you already too. That's right. Like, is this all he's used for at this he's point? Putting on air sign. There we go. <laughs> all right, mission accomplished. All right. So 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 I have, and we'll get to it. Um, I have a top twelve list, which we do top twelve lists of various topics. What are some of the topics topics we've done over the years? Uh, top twelve hymns. Top 12 apostles ranked in order. Top 12 haikus based on the parables. Yeah. Oh. Uh, top 12 biblical football players. Um, top 12 uh, pointers to listening to a sermon. Top 12 numbers. Yes, we did top 12. We ranked. We took <laughs> the 12 numbers and we ranked the 12 numbers. It was quite confusing. <laughs> I suppose it would be. So, so yeah, and uh, but we also always start off with a beverage. And you, you, what'd you think of the variety of the clerical airs uh, fridge there? Oh well, it was a, a dizzying array of Midwest essentials uh, like energy drinks and soft drinks and communion wine. Yeah, uh, you, you chose, uh, and I have this theory. I've always had this theory that the mini bottles and the mini cans always taste better. I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's more precious due to its scarcity. There you go. So, uh, and so, uh, what we're going to do is, uh, I want to actually start off part of getting to know you a little bit. Okay. Because do you know why you're a number, why we call you 19.0? I understand that I am your 19th vicar over the last two decades. And originally, the the vicar was at 15.0? 16, I think. Okay. he was. We called him our vicar app. Oh. So he was like our Hey Google, like we wanted him to look up something. Okay. And we don't do that as much anymore, but we still call you the vicar app, and you're the 19.0 vicar app. Got it. 
Hey, I want to uh, say unless unless we want to look something up and then we tell you to look something up and you're the vicar app once again. Okay. <laughs> and and I want to I want to say a hearty congratulations to Hannah, our associate producer. Ooh. Um, who uh, at her church just installed their 1.0. Right on. So I would I like would like to think that we had something to do with that as a podcast. I don't know. Hannah, let us know what did the did the clerical heirs podcast engender a love for you to spread to your congregation that made you think, hey, we need a vicar app too. Let us know, Hannah. Where could Hannah get a hold of us, Vicar? Ah, so we can be reached in uh, many different ways. Our email address is feedback at clericalerrors.org. We can be reached on facebook.com by searching for Clerical Errors Podcast. And on Twitter, we post using the handle at Clerical Errors P, and the P stands for podcast. At me, bro. Not for you, the listener can at me, bro. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I almost got you. All right. Yeah, you thought I was picking a fist fight with you. <laughs> Come at me, man. Well, I, I'm just brand new. It could have been. <laughs> so we had um, uh, uh, someone who emailed the show, and he wanted uh, he he was someone who wanted to get a hold of the previous vicar because. Um, he said uh, that uh, I don't want to mention names because I don't know, you know, where he's at in this process. But he mentioned that he was an engineer thinking about going into the ministry, and uh, and uh, I thought, well, uh, we have someone who's also went through that process. That's correct. Right. So, as someone who has been through, first of all, tell him about tell tell us a little bit about that background for you. All right, certainly. Well, uh, I'm a second career, middle-aged engineer, and right out of high school, I moved to the state of Alaska from the state of Oregon, and I attended engineering school there and became a civil engineer and worked in various places, uh, including the last 15 years as a municipal engineer for, for a city government. And it was in that context that I discovered the, the seminary and, and even Lutheranism, to be fair, and, and became a, a person like this fellow that contacted you that was an engineer and went into the ministry. And at this point, of course, I'm a vicar, so I have two more years left to go of training on my way to becoming a pastor. So I am familiar with that path, and I, I hope that listener that contacted you, I hope he's listening right now because I would love to talk to him about transitioning from an engineer into seminary. So what were some of the obstacles that you had in, in going through that process? Uh, the big one was probably giving up what I never knew I had, which was the right to select where I live. That's just a given as an American. You move when you feel like it. You buy houses mm -hmm. that you feel like buying in cities that you feel like living in. And when you transition to the, to the ministry, that, that goes away. And, uh, and so that was something to think about. Because I imagine as a civil engineer, you could literally live wherever you want to. That's correct. The, you, you could find a job. Any state of the union probably is looking for, has an opportunity for that. And you could literally live wherever you want. I think that's extremely close to absolutely true. 
that anyone would want an engineer to move nearby and, and help them. And so that's correct. And and instead, of course, going into the ministry, I, I moved out of a house that I had owned since 1995 that uh, and not never thought I would move out from again. So I, I didn't keep myself lightly loaded. I had all kinds of stuff that wasn't appropriate to move to the Midwest. And uh, me and my wife, like, made the the choice uh, that God put in front of me to come to the seminary. And so we had to take, it took us months, I guess. That was the biggest barrier was getting a house ready to sell and move out of that we had never anticipated leaving. Mm-hmm. And uh, I imagine as a as an engineer, you never, when you're looking over job opportunities, you never kind of circled Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, a, that's correct. I probably... Would not have uh, had great success finding Iowa on a map. Oh, I had heard of it. So, so how about how about job related? Was there something about? Uh, obviously, the reward the is different, right? Oh yeah. You, you know, sometimes I admire someone who comes from that kind of a background, where at the end of the day they can say, "This is what." There's something like standing or whatever that that I had a part in that you can actually see. That's not always the case in the church. Right. No, that's absolutely true. I, even as a young land surveyor, as I was entering my career, there was a new FedEx building at the Fairbanks airport, I think it was. And I helped survey in the radius points where the curves would go into the curb of the parking lot. And that little six inch high concrete curb, every time I drove by that building, I would automatically look at that curb and remembered I was there before that curb existed. <laughs> it's pretty minor, but yeah, there is, there's many other things much more important than that. But even from the beginning on the littlest projects, right, I was attracted to being able to look at something I'd accomplished. And, and I do think, too, I've been told that, uh, that the same type of skills that it takes in understanding like some of the math and the science are actually, in the same way, often used in good theology, have Absolutely. You, have, have you noticed that? I have noticed that. I would state that I was attracted to Lutheranism, and I was not—I'm not a native Lutheran. I was not born into the Lutheran, uh, into the Lutheran faith, but I was attracted to it because there were answers, biblical, solid answers, drawn from the Scriptures in a in a methodological manner that I could relate to as an engineer. And a lot of if this is true, then this is true. Yes, and if the Bible's true, then the Lutheran confessions are true because they are faithfully drawn from it. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, we will spend uh, a little time. Uh, I've got a, a top 12 list, but before we do that, um, we talk a little bit about our text. And what I've done is I have a dual purpose top 12 list, it's a dual list, I'll call it. <laughs> Um, one is I have 12 questions that I have to ask to get to know the vicar, hmm. get to know 19.0, okay? Okay. And then I also have sermon ideas for this text. So an idea that could be used for a large part of a sermon based on this text. Okay, that sounds great. Does that sound cool? Yeah. So uh, um, I suppose... Maybe Vicar should read the text first. Read the text first. So. Okay, I can do that. Which text are we looking at today? We're looking at the gospel, and you can read it. This is not the divine service. <laughs> oh, 
That's that's a good point. Uh, I will read it even though I am only a vicar, which they made me memorize that phrase, by the way, when I was in a field work. They said, <laughs> practice with me. I am only the vicar. All right. But nevertheless, I will read the Holy Gospel this morning for the podcast. Luke 19, verses 41 to 48, the 10th Sunday after Trinity. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone standing upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So I have like 12 thoughts, but I want to get to know the vicar first. So let's just jump right into the the top 12 list. So what do you think should happen, vicar? What do I, is this one of the questions? No. Oh, (laughs) okay. I... Do not understand the question, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Peter, play the intro. Ah, okay. Peter, play (laughs) the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. You have really selected a good one today. (laughs) This is awesome. It is awesome for someone to... I I find it fun. By the way, what do you think of this music? It's yeah. it's really good. That's a good selection. You like that? You like oh. that intro? Oh yeah. What's Great. your favorite part? <laughs> Probably the rhythm. I'm sort of a rhythm guy. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think so. <laughs> so no, but I like I like uh, having uh, someone who's kind of new because they don't. Part of the whole the reason why it's called clerical errors is the fact that we let loose. If we make mistakes, we lean into it. And we joke about it. Oh, good. You know. The whole idea behind it was so many so many podcasts of a Christian nature are so starched mm, right? and packaged. Yeah. You know, it's like we're having fun and uh, we're human. And uh, and we, we kind of lean into that because to me, a lot of the funniest parts are when we do something and weird or make a mistake. And it makes a listener enjoy listening, but then we get to sneak in theology. In oh, okay. A secret. Yeah, yeah. If you uh, if you want to get more acquainted with what's allowed and what's not, just listen to last episode. Okay. Um, you'll get there. Yeah, fantastic. Get the theology booster, some dedications, and we got the uh, Matt Harrison rap. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds good already. (laughs) All right. So the next time you're you're playing uh, video games, you guys are talking a different language. That I, yeah. what is it that you said you like to play? Uh, lately, No Man's Sky, and sometimes Ark Survival. Yeah, and I play Angry Birds. <laughs> I 
I'm like on level like 600 in Angry Birds. No. I don't mean to brag, but <laughs> so uh, we'll start with number top 12. So these are first. I'll do a question. Okay. Get some info from you. Get to know 19.0. Get familiar with the new app. Okay. New features, and then uh, and then I'll, I'll talk about a sermon idea from the text. Great. Number 12. Vicar, how are you? I am doing very well, and I could answer that at length, or I could make sure we have time for well, the other well, really, questions. Well, really, I'm really, I don't want, like, I just really want to know. Okay. Really, how are you? I am doing very, very well. I love this now, area. Now, what do you mean by well? Ah, okay, so you're going to torment me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that I am content with my my age, my my vocation, my family, and where God has put me. Content. Uh, that's much better than most of us. Holy that's God. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll accept that. Okay. I, I, I might pry you, but you're just getting into this. Right. I mean, this isn't a therapy couch. It's a podcast. Oh, right. Well, what I'll do you better. mean you're okay with your family? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to say that, too, because my son's oh, yeah. right here. Everything's perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So when we look at this text... Uh, do you remember what the text is? Jesus he was weeping throwing, over Jerusalem, right, and throwing out the throwing out the merchants that were occupying the temple. This passage gives you an opportunity to teach on impenitence, hmm. yeah, the sin of the Holy Spirit, because he's weeping. Because what do they do? They um, they reject that which makes for peace, and. Um, and they reject Christ, and they reject his word. And so it gives you a chance to talk about what is the sin of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And, and one thing I will say is, generally, because people are worried about that, you yeah. know, have I done that? Right. And I'm sure, if actually, in your background, that was probably a bigger thing. It certainly was. Right? Um, but uh, I would say, let's say you come to me and you say, Pastor, have I sinned against the Holy Spirit? Like, if you're worried about it, right? you haven't. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I, I guess if I could, my, I remember an occasion when I was probably still a teenager when my, my sister was tearfully concerned that she had sinned against the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's nonsense. If you're concerned about that, then you haven't hardened your heart. You haven't walked away with disbelief from the Word of God because you actually are concerned. Because if you truly have sinned against the Holy Spirit, you're not actually concerned about it. Right. Like those who are plotting Jesus' death, they weren't worried about it. No. Right. But this would give you an opportunity to talk about in the sermon what it was like for them, what it looks like in us, but then also what are, how to avoid that. Right. You know? And so I think this text uh, would give an opportunity in a sermon to talk about that and to flesh that out and to find hope in the forgiveness of Christ. Absolutely. Number 11. Now, some of this, uh, some of my questions you might realize is because I know you a little bit already. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll be listening for that. All right. So 
If you had to describe your childhood with one death metal song, which death metal song would it be and why? <laughs> That's going to take me a moment. Uh, Do you, you want me to talk about my sermon point while you think about it for a second? Uh, yeah, that's a good. That's okay, a good way so to do it. My eleven sermon thought is, uh, Jesus was found here also in the temple, the temple that would be destroyed, and uh, and he is the one that ultimately makes it beautiful, and uh, even while he talks about the coming destruction, yet he finds himself continuing in the temple where God's word is found. He himself, the temple who dwells with us, who, who comes with his visitation, with his presence and his word, they didn't recognize it, but yet there he was, and he is the one that makes it beautiful. And uh, when we think of what happens here on Sunday morning, you have the presence of God, you have his word, you have uh, Christ Jesus pleading for us, and uh, giving us his grace and mercy. So what a blessing it is to go into God's house and recognize the presence of Jesus among us. Did I give you enough time? I think think I've got one. (laughs) All right. Which song is it? All right. Mortifications, Bishop of Souls. And Mortifications is a song title? No, sorry. Mortification is the band. Okay. And that's a Australian Christian death metal band from the early, early 90s. Okay. You, you might even think of them as the kind of the first Christian-oriented death metal band that used that genre uh, with Christian lyrics. Okay. And they had a song entitled Bishop of Souls. And this reminds me that, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate bishop of our souls. And he's always taken care of me. Uh, he's always put... God has always put me into the context of being near influential Christians and has taken care of me when there's no way I deserved such good things in my life on my own. Oh, I have misremembered the band. Sorry. I've, this is Vengeance Rising, another early thrash metal bit Christian band. So I did misremember the name of the band. All right. Number 10. How miserable is Fairbanks, Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a great question. So I feel like I have to do the positives first. So, I mean, it's the people are great. They, because it's such a remote, extremely cold location, uh, the the people make up for it. There's a lot of performing arts and activities. Mm -hmm. There's the international ice sculpture contest and the dog sled races. A lot of good things. But in the winter, it's true. The sun only comes up for two or two and a half hours, barely gets over the horizon, and goes right back down so that you're experiencing like 21 hours of darkness and it's 30 to 40 below zero all the time for, for a month or two at a time. That can be hard. Did you, did you have to take vitamin D and that kind of thing? Uh, well, I did not, but I, I knew people who would buy banks of, of lighting and install it wherever they were spending the most time in a building so that they would have that full spectrum lighting on them so that they could avoid that seasonal affective disorder or sad. Right. Because even in Iowa, it gets too much for me. I'm like having... Now, Peter White like it. He's kind of a... We see the red hair. Oh, he, yeah. He's, he's afraid of the sun a little bit. 
Right. Us computer gamers, we're a little bit more immune to the, the lack of sunlight than others. Yeah, I don't need more colors than the colors on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right, uh, sermon idea about the text. It is a discussion on what is it that we deserve. Hmm. When Jesus ta- is talking about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of, of Jerusalem, no one that he's talking to would think, well, certainly not. We don't deserve that. Right. Especially those who were even plotting Jesus' death. They were probably doing it uh, either to, in their minds to protect others, to protect theology, to protect their religion, all those things. And uh, certainly if that was not something that they deserved in their own minds. Right. And I think there's a, a discussion to be had in a sermon about what is it that you think you really deserve. Hmm. The merchants thought they were doing it right. Right. And especially, um, I think, uh, and I maybe get to this later in one of my, my other numbers, from a collective standpoint. Hmm. Um, when we talk about repentance, a, a lot of times we talk about the individual repenting. Right. Right? But you see all over, especially in the Old Testament, the concept of corporate repentance. Right. Where, for example, Nineveh, where the king called the fast and everyone put on sackcloth and ashes and to, to avoid calamity. And um, I think a lot of people would say, boy, we're, we're cer- certainly changing right now. Right. Um, and uh, I think we as Christians can say, well, you know, uh, those people outside our walls need to repent, but there is a collective nature. This is your also, this is your culture. This is your country. This is where you live. Right. Um. And it comes with kind of a radical individualism that makes us think that maybe only in terms of personal beliefs or personal repentance. And and I think that's that's where I think this fine line is something that you would walk to go from whether you don't want to be a, a salvation of glory and the salvation of cross. From an individual point of view, living in this context could provide a cross at which you bear— and even in repentance, it doesn't mean that the whole country's and everything's going to change, and you might suffer as a Christian in this context. That's where the theology of cross enters in. But you can say that, um, that faith, um, that God's Word, from a collective standpoint, does make society better. It does create a place where the neighbor, the orphan, the widowed are taken care of. Um, capitalism works great if there is a concept of loving your neighbor and loving God. When all those things are cast aside, it works somewhat, but not nearly as well as it does with those things. So that's what I think what would draw the line is when you're talking about the theology of cross and the glory here. The theology of the cross for the individual, my sins are forgiven, I could endure whatever uh, comes my way because I deserve nothing but death, but my cross is the fact that I have a glory of the resurrection through the forgiveness of sins. 
And that's what goes, gets me through rough and hard times. And having faith does not necessarily mean that I will not go through those things, right. especially on an individual level. But I do think if you're talking from a collective, as a people, as a nation, as a group, that the gospel and the word of God does order things in a way that there provides a certain amount of peace and sanctity within the land. That makes a lot of sense to me, because we have policies in this country that are against Christianity, yet if those swing towards uh, a better reflection of Christian doctrine, then the whole country is better off whether a minority of folks are opposed to that to that policy. So, so, so to me, that, that, that's how you prevent um, kind of, because you could say, because people could think, well, is there a theology of glory? And is, as long as you believe in Jesus, everything will go well, that the, these tragedies that was going to happen to the temple in Jerusalem could have been avoided. Well, I think Jesus kind of said, yes, if you have recognized it, hmm. right? Right. Yet at the same time, there were individuals who did, who suffered in the midst of that. Right. So. It was certainly Jesus' will to gather up Jerusalem and take care of them, as he stated when he looked out over the city just before Holy Week, but uh, they were not willing. Number nine. How far do you think you could throw a standard American bulldog? <laughs> well, okay, I just started working out after after a long time of not doing so. It's kind of prerequisite, right? You probably heard the stories that kind before you came. <laughs> I I don't know the story of throwing a, a standard. No, in. about working out. <laughs> oh, the working out. Yes, I had heard that era, that theory that I would end up working out, which is good. But at any rate, no, I probably couldn't get him more than uh, six feet right okay. now. Like even maybe shot put style, I could do a little better. Okay. All right. So, so Peter, remind me in, in uh, an 11 and, a half, 11 and a half months to ask him that question again. We'll Are you going to get him into the Carl Bullhagen lifting program? I might ease it, ease it <laughs> yeah. into it. Yeah. That's the theory. I think it's going to work, actually. All right. All right. So my sermon thought is this. Sin seeks to destroy all things good. And Jesus seeks to restore it. The reason why I say all things good is, well, the temple was created, was asked by God, created to be good. Sin sought to destroy it. Jesus was all things good himself in person, uh, the, the righteous Lamb of God. What did sin try to do? Try to do? Attempt and destroy him. Right, right. When you look at all sorts of things going on right now, uh, family, education, uh, life, fatherhood, motherhood, what is sin seeking to do to those things that God created to be good? Subvert, divide, and conquer. And destroy. And destroy. What does Jesus seek to do? To restore it, to make all things right. Right. Not, not necessarily as sinners perfect. No. But I've... through the forgiveness of sins, we, are, we do learn to respect what God just created and to love our neighbor. It leads us to be better fathers and mothers. Right. 
Number eight. Which time period of church history most resembles the grunge era of the 1990s? <laughs> Do you need a minute? Uh, yeah, you better let me think on that one. Okay. I'll so you think about that. I'll give my sermon source uh, <laughs> number eight. Make sure you get the name correct on this one, huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to read the question one more time? Oh, you better do it. It's going to slip my mind. Okay, which time period of church history most remembers the grunge era of the 1990s and why? All right. So um, my sermon thought is... Uh, do you notice how Jesus continues even to the very end of his life? There's an urgency. He still, day after day, is in the temple preaching his word. And uh, he continues in the midst of enemies to continue to do what he came to do and preach his word. And even in the darkest of times, and certainly that is a call for us Christians to continue in these days to do what Jesus does, is to continue to proclaim the words, to love enemies the way Jesus loved and proclaim the word to them. He never gave up, even unto his death, even as he was dying, he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And and that that also is a lesson for us as well, to in these these days, in these last days, to continue to hear God's word, continue to hear him call us to repentance and also to hear his sweet words of forgiveness. Did I give you enough time? I have had enough time. I think I got a good answer. Okay, for so this. for the listener, let me reiterate it one more time. Which type period of church history most resembles the grunge era of the 1990s and why? Okay, so this is going to be the mid- middle of the 16th century, towards the end of Martin Luther's life, because by then he... Uh, had run out of patience, and from my study of history, with with things looking uh, correct and shiny and and perfect, but being incorrect and wrong, and he had run out of patience, I think, and so he was at his most caustic, uh, attacking the enemies of the gospel towards the end of his life, which he died in 1546, and in the same way, the grunge music, I think, looked back to the 80s when everything had gone glam and you had to be like a supermodel in order to get onto MTV and make music. And up come these bands, especially from the Pacific Northwest, which is where I'm from, that look more like they just got done working a shift at the gas station, and they mm-hmm. would record authentic music. Uh, I mean, when the album Nevermind came out by Nirvana, uh, Kurt Cobain, the lead singer there, he was homeless. The day that album came out and, and, and then went very big and made him famous, he literally slept on the streets that night. So... So I, you're saying so what you're saying is Portland right now has probably about 45,000 Kirk Cobain. <laughs> that's streets. right. There are at least 45,000 potential Kirk Cobains. Uh, although he was from Seattle, not oh. Portland, just to be fair, but at any rate, nevertheless, uh, so that's why I see it. the authenticity, the the getting tired of things looking very fancy, very nice, uh but but was rotten on the inside and and the grunge movement reset all that. And I, I suppose you could actually say, too, that the Reformation itself could have reflected that in the sense of uh, the control of the Roman church 
their desire for beauty, riches, right. and all those things. And Luther's saying, well, let's get real. Let's get real. Not- you know, there, there are, I, I would say, too, there could be some enlightenment type things or uh, of uh, almost a pietism, too, hmm. with the grunge era where you could say, well, you know, we need to, to set all that that other stuff aside and like what's really going on right what's really important what's yeah number seven is haiku poetry overrated or underrated (laughs) okay i think i can answer that one directly um i mean i'd never thought of it in categories of overrated or underrated but i I never found it terribly important (laughs) on the other hand with the my background in engineering and math i like the the i like that the structure was predictable and and numeric but uh but it also but i never ended up embracing poetry as a whole so at least it also got over with very quickly by being short well one thing i appreciate about haiku is the economy of words right every word is important Right. That'll be a theme as you prepare sermons. Okay. Uh, question 7B, what's your favorite math formula? <laughs> My favorite math formula? It's it's not like I have them memorized anymore. There's a, a trick to being an engineer. You take calculus, you take fluid dynamics, you take thermodynamics, and all kinds of classes. And then in the end, you graduate and go into your career, hopefully, and you find out that you don't use those formulas anymore. You use the results of those formulas that have been tabulated, put into tables of values. So really, it's, uh, it's you know, I'd have to look back to even be able to quote a formula. But some of the ones with, the, you know, the simple ones are kind of the best, right? Force equals mass times acceleration. That's a, that's a nice, simple one that I can remember. F equals MA. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. There you go. The Pythagorean theorem. That's a good one, too. All right. Uh, so my sermon thought from the text All right. is what actually makes for peace? We have a lot of theories right now, right? Uh, we have politicians arguing what makes for peace. As an, in an individual level, what are the things that we think will make for peace? And in Jesus' day, everyone thought they knew what would made what makes for peace. And Jesus says, "If only you knew hmm. what made for peace." Um, discussing himself and the fact hmm. that the one that made for peace, they were going to reject and be killed. And uh, I think that's a lesson. That would be an easy way of introspection of leading the congregation in your preaching, in your sermon, to to walk them through. What is it that you look to to bring you peace? Or whether it's on a you know, on a large scale or on a personal scale. But what is it that brings peace? Hmm. And why is it that we sometimes want to refuse to think of that bringing true peace? All right. You like that sermon thought? I do. I'm thinking about the Sadducees thought that there would be peace in siding with the Romans. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, they achieved kind of an earthly peace for themselves. And, by, and by the fact, too, they have to almost because they rejected the resurrection. Right. So that was the only way that they could understand peace anyways, or the mm-hmm. restoration of Israel. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. If you don't think there's a resurrection, then you're living your best life now. 
That's right. And like we said earlier, if you're living your best life now, then you're going to hell. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Number six. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of theologians? <laughs> okay. That'll take me a moment. Okay. So you think about that. I will talk with Peter about my sermon idea. So, Peter, <laughs> uh, my sermon is idea is this. Are we really that different than Jerusalem when, they, when Jesus said those words? We like to think that we are very different. But are we? Um, with They had the word of God, and they rejected it. They heard it. They chose not to listen to it. To me, it sounds much like our what we're going through now. In fact, Martin Luther, in one of his sermons, uses to talk about Germany. You know, are we any different than Jerusalem, we here in Germany? It's, it's a very helpful way to think about and discuss in a sermon those type of things while pointing the answer to, once again, the one who would die for the sins of the world. Vicar, did I give you enough time? <laughs> I think I've got it. I'm going to pick two uh, more ancient, I guess I will say, theologians and two more modern ones. Okay. So the, the, the ancient ones are not terribly creative for a Lutheran seminarian. It's got to be Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon. I, I know some... Early Melanchthon, right? <laughs> yeah, the early, right. I, under, I know. I was going to go on and mention, like, you kind of got to put a little asterisk by Philip Melanchthon and... I really appreciate him. He was a, a lay person, which I think is amazing for what he wrote. He wrote the Augsburg Confession. He wrote the Apology. And, and he actually, he kind of thought like an engineer, which got him in trouble. Right. Well, eventually got in trouble because, right, he, he tried to apply like reason as a against the Scripture rather than figure, figuring out when those occasions are that you have to take the Scripture at its word and, and you can't close the loop logically. So he did make errors towards the end of his career. I still have a healthy respect for him. Uh, Martin Luther is just a fantastic author. If you haven't read anything by him for whatever reason, that'd actually be almost be impossible if you're Lutheran because you would have read the small catechism, I suppose. But some of his, his writing is just really engaging. He's the world's first bestseller, and there's a reason for that. It's not just because he was really smart and, and, and a rebel. It was because he was actually also a very good author. Was, was there a writing... That he that you had read that was instrumental in you becoming Lutheran? Well, outside that, of the small catechism? No, not outside the small catechism, but influential in deciding that he was a fantastic author is the little red book called The Three Treatises, which includes his uh, address to the German nobility about why the Roman Catholic um, the Roman Catholic leadership should be subject to the law of the land and not above it. And that's a good read. You might have to, if you decide to read that, you might have to do a little research into what the Middle Ages were like as far as late Middle Ages uh, mm -hmm. and what he's addressing. But it's a fantastic read. He, he writes and in a very engaging way. And it was upon reading that book at seminary that I realized that this isn't just somebody who wrote a catechism that's, that's fantastically filled with the truth, but he's actually a very good author that you feel like reading. Um, so those are the two... Uh, Reformation-era theologians on my Mount Rushmore. And then two modern ones. I really enjoy works by Hank Hanegraaff. He's the Bible Answer Man, so that's a fellow who's been broadcasting uh, from the Christian Research Institute organization. I've been broadcasting on the radio and on the internet now for decades. 
And he's an interesting fellow. He started evangelical at the time I first started listening to him, and he converted to Eastern Orthodoxy maybe a decade ago. And uh, that was uh, near and dear to my heart because my grown-up children have converted to Eastern Orthodoxy from a non-denominational uh, church they had been attending. And uh, But he's very smart. He is takes the Word of God very seriously and has great an- biblical answers to questions when people call into his radio show. Um, so okay. Hank Hanegraaff. And finally, uh, the fourth would have to be another... Uh, uh, this probably just shows that I don't know enough theologians in the Lutheran Church yet, but I'm going to get there. But I like R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul. He was a Presbyterian, a very conservative Presbyterian, and he wrote books, uh, kind of apologetics works at times, like my favorite being Not a Chance. And in that book, he showed the equivocation that modern-day scientists and atheists use on the word nothing. Uh, it's stuffing the word nothing with qualities and capabilities and potentials that cause things like the universe to pop out of nothing. Uh, And of course, nothing is nothing and has no causative powers whatsoever. So I really enjoyed that book, and every now and then I pick it up and read it again. Number three. What color describes your general disposition? (laughs) All right. I I think this is a loaded question. Obviously, Pastor Bullhagen has known me a few a few days now, so I I like to wear black clothing, and if I can help it, and it's not the case right now, I, I like to purchase black col- colored cars as well. But I don't have one of those right now. At any rate, uh, so and then mid nineties, because everything that ever happened that was cool was from the mid nineties, I suppose. Uh, I was in my 20s, and I watched the show Jurassic Park, and I, oh yeah, and Peter was born in the mid-90s apparently, so <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Uh, anyway, I watched the show Jurassic Park, and I read the book by Michael Crichton, and the mathematician in that book that was portrayed by uh, Goldblum wore all black, and it talked about that, and then, uh, and also even a little later, the movie The Matrix came out in the late 90s, and Neo and all those guys, they wore a lot of black clothing. I was in my 20s, and I said, wait a minute, I think these guys are cool for wearing all black, but I'm an adult. I could do what I think is cool. I don't just have to look at somebody else and say, hey, what they're doing is cool. I could do it. So in right around 1995, uh, I started uh, wearing all black clothing, and I've done that for the last 27 years, and it makes picking out clothes in the morning really simple. Which probably drew you to the ministry then, right? Yeah, I was delighted (laughs) to be in a denomination, because I wasn't even Lutheran at the time I made the decision. And at any rate, yes, it it made the transition pretty simple. I just put the little white square in the middle of my collar, and and otherwise I can keep most of my clothes the same. (laughs) Um, Number three, my sermon uh, discussion, three sermon ideas, is there is a difference between knowing... God's word and taking it to heart and believing it. The reason why I have this discussion is I would say uh, the chief priests, the scribes, um, and the principal men of the text plotting Jesus' death, they probably do the Old Testament pretty well. Hmm. Yeah. But they were missing the heart of it, Christ. And, um, and I think sometimes uh, we can take one one, one hand of, of knowing God's word. Yeah, I know it. You know, uh, I know the Ten Commandments. We know what is right and wrong, but are you taking? Are you 
taking it to heart. Right. Is God, and and so, and so I think that is an aspect. Sometimes, you know, I've had people who who I've talked to people who have said things like, you know, I Lutheran theology is important to me, but there are certain things that weren't hmm. that needed to be reformed, and and so it was kind of there was a disconnect, and you know, part of of the life of faith is to wrestle with those questions and to take God's word to heart and to constantly have the old Adam drown and die with his sinful desires and a new man arise. And, and that is not just knowing the facts of God's word. Right. It's uh, uh, the baptism that you have been given, taking it to heart, repenting, growing, all those things. That could all be tied into, you know, uh, the discussion of what is a sin against the Holy Spirit and how to keep from getting there, right? Too, um, but uh, you know, they're dealing. We're dealing with people who who knew the words, right, of the Old Testament, but they are missing the heart, right? They were uh, not trusting in the Messiah, right? If they really took it to heart and knew it as they should, they would recognize who was before them. At and they didn't. From his works, if by nothing else. Right. Number two. What is your old all your all-time favorite vehicle that you have owned in the past? <laughs> I wonder if I've already mentioned this, because this is an easy one for me. I, I have well, I currently own, but did not bring with me to Iowa, a, a 2015 Kia k900 and like almost nobody's heard of them oh is that is that the one lebron james got i wouldn't know i don't follow too many athletes but i've heard of that car you have well that's fantastic that's a nice looking vehicle it's a very cool car and the fact that kia which is known more for you know value cars that don't cost as much maybe uh put out a luxury sedan uh, kind of hurt their marketing in a way. Uh, I bought this thing for so little when it was only three years old because no one at the time was looking for a luxury sedan at all because of the gas mileage, admittedly, is not great. And also because, like, well, Kia is not who you think of when, you, when right. you're looking for that kind of car. You think of Cadillac or maybe Mercedes or something. Hey, Peter, can you do a quick Google? See if LeBron, is that if that's the law. The, the, <laughs> yeah, you're correct. That is the one LeBron James. Oh, uh, yeah. well, fantastic. He's got great taste. I didn't know it. I don't know if he drives it, but he does have pictures with him next to it. Right. <laughs> that is a cool car. And uh, the 2015 year I selected because all of those had V8 engines. And then later the six-cylinder engine became an option, and most of them had that engine. See, I'm, I'm more partial to the... Uh, like the really late model DeVille's, like the, the DTS ones. Okay, yeah. Um, Those are good, too. I actually drive a uh, 08 DTS. Right so. on. I tried to get a 2011 uh, a police car. I'm trying to remember. What did the police drive? The Ford? Grand Marquis or the Ford? Yeah, like the Grand Marquis the, the... Phantom Platform. And uh, I forgot the Ford variant of the, of the Grand Marquis yeah, the... off the top of my head, but... The Crown Vic? <laughs> That's it, the Crown Vic. And I came close to getting one of those, and Heather did not like it. And I came so close, and I couldn't quite get 
the right price, negotiated for it. But I mean, what an iconic car, right? The police have been driving those for decades. Oh, well, you would you would appreciate uh, my youngest son's car, okay. the Grand Marquis. I think okay. it's a, oh, like a 98, but it's the same. Yeah, they didn't change them much for a long time. And I just, I thought those were cool cars and, and iconic in their, in their shape. And uh, But Heather was pretty happy. My wife's name is Heather. And she was happy that we didn't end up with that and got the Kia K900 instead. Have you well, seen you know, that, I, I, Have you seen that video of the guy who bought a like a full code uh sheriff car i guess uh, at auction i'll i'll send Hmm. it to you there's a there's a guy who they there's a they were the sheriff at the place was selling the car and didn't tear off the decals and it turns out as long as you buy it that way you don't have to take them off yourself so you can just drive (laughs) around basically without the just without the lights is the only thing that's missing he you could drive right. around a full code uh, cop car and he would get like free coffee and donuts everywhere he went. <laughs> he'd never get a ticket because he'd just, he'd get pulled over, just, see the cop car and go, oh, never mind, you're good. And then just drive away. Oh, man. So, so we, well, the three of us have something in common, right? Okay. What's that? The love of the sedan. Yes. Yes. I'm right there with you. Oh. Uh. I, the 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 everyone's driving these like crossover SUVs and they're uh, so boring and I a, don't want one. Oh, a nice sedan. Right. <laughs> exactly. They were made for transporting people and we are people. Right. <laughs> right. Low to the ground. It reminds me of, like well one of my favorite cars that I've had was uh, before I had my Lexus. Ooh. <laughs> Is I had an Aurora. Oh yeah, I know about those. I almost got one of those one time. Too. An underrated. Uh, it's a luxury sports sedan, right? right? Yeah, I understand that they often have. I think it's the fuel pump that fails, and it's pretty expensive. Is that the one? Uh, mine didn't. Okay, well that's good. But the, my, you know, I drove it till it died. You know, right? But blew a gasket. Right. But uh, oh yeah, it was way ahead of its time. Yeah. No, I could see having one of those someday. My, my children didn't necessarily appreciate it. No. You know. Um, I I remember we were driving in it and we 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 passed another one that was just like it only it was brown, and my son said, "Dad, that looks more like even more like a than yours." <laughs> That's funny. I've I've only ever seen one other K nine hundred in the wild, in the and I bought the car in two thousand eighteen. So in the four years I've owned it, I've only seen one other K nine hundred in real life besides my own. Wow, I but I actually, I actually had looked at those like and hmm. various things and thought, you know, too a sedan is way better for a, a taller guy too. Yeah, I wouldn't know <laughs> because uh, like if you're sitting a little more upright, like in an SUV, and your legs are up higher, then your ain't your ankles, you're mm-hmm. having to point your toes a lot. Okay. Oh, see a sedan, worst- you stretch it out. Right. Stretch your legs out. The worst Much experience better. I've had driving a car is driving one of those like boxy Kias for a rental. Oh yeah. And it was like yeah, my I mean, shins just ached because I, I, you can't. There's no good way to angle your foot. There's just. But mm. you. But man, we're sounding old. But you get a nice sedan, <laughs> right? Stretch out. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, maybe this is one of my few advantages with my my height, which is that I'm not very tall. That I don't have, I don't even recognize this problem you're speaking of. I've rented Kias, the small ones, before, and it was just fine for me. Ugh. 
Yeah, you like if I if I'm renting a car and because I try and rent a full size, hmm. and right. they say, "Well, we only had uh, the economy," I'm like, because oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and even if it's by myself because they're just right. Anyways, um, okay. uh, my my number two servant thought hmm. simply that uh, they didn't recognize the time of Jesus appearing and a reminder we are living in the same time the new testament time right and although we he isn't in a way that we can see him yet uh we are held to the same standard of recognizing Christ who has appeared especially when you consider um that even more validity than seeing him is to hear his word and so, for example, when Jesus uh, wanted to prove to John the Baptist that he was the Messiah, one thing he did is, well, tell him what I'm doing. And right. he, he says, basically, he's doing everything that the prophets said he would be doing. Right. And uh, Or you look at Thomas, uh, blessed are those who believe yet have not seen. He's saying that the most important thing in that is not to be actually see him in the physical person, but actually to hear his word and to believe the witnesses of those who did see him. And so because of that, uh, and because Jesus is now no longer just one man walking around Jerusalem, but he is where his servants are, he is where his word is heard and where uh, people are being baptized, um, then uh, we today are in exactly the same situation. And we've been given Christ and his word and and to be mindful of how that can be lost like it was the people in our text. Yeah, no, that's great insight because we have a strong witness to Jesus Christ in the scriptures that we know to be accurate, we know to be the word of God. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate what you just said, that we are held to the same standard that we didn't see Jesus walking around Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but we have his sure word in the scriptures preserved for us supernaturally by God himself. And everyone likes to think, well, if I had, I wouldn't have been. Right. You know? <laughs> sure. <Right. laughs> sure. No, I, I yeah, think you'd that. have been one of those handful of people at the cross still hanging around. I'm sure you were. Right. You're the special one. We get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And number one. What is, in your mind, the biggest danger of dispensational theology? (laughs) Ah, I love it. Let's see. I I think by far the biggest danger of dispensational theology, which is an end times theory uh, or doctrine, which shows the, the notion that there will be a rapture that removes Christians from the earth and leaves unbelievers behind, followed by seven years of tribulation, and then a physical uh, Christ-controlled government on this planet for a thousand years. Of course, a battle of Armageddon. And so that for, for some listeners, maybe that's the only theory of the end times they have ever heard, which was the case with me growing up as a Pentecostal. I didn't even know it had a name. I didn't know that anybody believed otherwise 
And yet, in fact, 90% of Christians on this planet are not dispensationalists. They don't believe. But the, okay, but the biggest danger is that it separates out God's plan of salvation into two segments. You have kind of a Gentile way of salvation, which is the church age that we are in now. But the people of Israel, supposedly, are dealing with a different plan of salvation. So this was John Nelson Darby's theory in 1830, the fellow that created dispensationalism, who invented the rapture, by the way. So this is not an ancient doctrine of a secret second coming of Christ that takes away the people, the Christians, from the earth. Uh, That's only since 1830, so that's a little late. Um, But he treated the scriptures as dealing separately with the Jews as with the Christians. And so he would look at a scripture verse and decide, does this apply to Christians or does this apply to Jews? And this is why they think there needs to be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. I mean, to my mind now, one of the most blasphemous things you could do is rebuild the temple and start up a sacrificial system again. And yet, the dispensationalists think that's coming in the future and that the Jews will have a separate plan of salvation from Christians. And we know that's false because there is no Jew and no Greek in God's plan of salvation. Right. And and uh, especially in Hebrews, how how can you have that idea when when Hebrews ties them both together, how those men are saved by faith. Right. The same faith that Abraham had in believing in the Messiah. Right. 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 Okay. And then my, my number one sermon thought is about the love and compassion that Jesus still has for his enemies. And he still seeks to continue to give his word. And... And to remember that, I think to this day, when you have people also, I think that's a comforting message, uh, when people maybe uh, mourn for loved ones in their lives too, who maybe feel they feel like so they're in the same shoes as that Jesus wept for. You know, Jesus weeps for them too. And Jesus cares about them more than you do even. Hmm. And, and to, like he did, and I've never give up in, in praying for them and seeking to allow them to hear God's word again. And uh, that that love, because people are out there thinking that Jesus' desire is to judge, hmm. and it isn't. I mean, he weeps for even those who are trying to kill them, kill him. And and that, that should bind us all and be a, a, a guiding thought for us when we think of Jesus and his gospel, even in the midst of talking about condemnation. So, which one did you like the most? <laughs> which one do you think makes it would make a better sermon? Oh, I would have probably jumped straight to the uh, predicting of one stone not standing upon another, which I don't think you even hit upon in your 12 ideas. No, I didn't. That's the destruction of Jerusalem, of course. That right. Is. So, let's see. But of I the mean, ones I that... think I, I had been thinking about it, but I was thinking about it in the terms of all these other things. For example, right. what do you think you deserve? Yeah, I like that one too. That's a good one. Because um, because it, we like to pick on the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they got so much wrong, but we need to look at those uh, folks and realize that they needed the same thing that we all need. They needed to recognize Jesus Christ and to have faith in him. And so uh, they thought they were doing things right. They thought they deserved better than a destroyed temple or to be kicked out of it for selling uh, 
And yet we all don't deserve that. We all confess every week that we deserve present and eternal punishment. And and we also think one of those that was offended by Christ was Paul. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, well, what did you think of your first episode <laughs> of The Clerical Heirs? Now, you haven't met Berg yet. No. Uh, but so far, so good. I'm a little surprised at how vicar-centric it was, and I'm, I'm worried that I've said every interesting thing that I have to say already in the first episode. So we'll Probably. <laughs> That's <laughs> how it usually works, right? No, okay. You just have, you have until next week to get more interesting, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. No, well, the, the whole idea is to get to know 19.0. Okay. So. Well, mission accomplished. There will be times where we won't let you talk. Don't worry. Okay. That might be a better episode. We'll see. <laughs> I think this is good. Yeah, I think it was well. All right, so that brings us to the conclusion of our show. Thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And may your car be a sedan. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.